Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast brought to you by Thrivent. Find your purpose and live your calling. Start your next career today by going to thriventfinancial.com slash advisor careers. Thank you for being here with us. So exciting. Find out more at stacyontheright.com and familyvisionmedia.org. Today's guest is a particular treat for us. I love it when we have an expert in science and technology and especially virology on the program. We have Dr. Roger Klein, JD, MD, fellow at the Center for Law, Science and Innovation at the Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law at Arizona State University. Dr. Klein, thanks for coming on today. Hi, Stacey. It's great to be with you. So let's let's dig into, um, there's a little bit of news out there about teenagers who are experiencing heart issues related to the Pfizer vaccine. That's of concern for parents who are looking at the possibility of mandates in the fall for their kids uh, returning to school, having to have some form of the vaccine. What can you tell us about that? So, so it looks as if there, there may be an increased um, incidence of a heart uh, disease called myocarditis, which is really uh, inflammation of the heart. Uh, very, very rare. I mean, let, let, let's be honest and clear. It, it's, if it's associated with vaccine use, it's extremely rare. But on the other hand, young people, kids are not, uh, are not uh, at high risk from COVID-19 either. Both, you know, a serious uh, illness from COVID-19 for a young person is also a very, very low risk. And really what you're doing when you, when you're, uh, Considering vaccination in, in the young age group, teens, kids, et cetera, uh, and, and, you know, even older into the college ages, you're, you're basically balancing risks. So to balance risks is one thing, but what is your opinion, especially, you know, with your with your CV, you can speak from the expert level on what school districts and school boards should be doing in the way of mandating that children receive this vaccine in the fall in order to be able to enter the, the building to attend classes in person. And so, so in my view, that's not appropriate. Uh, I, I for, for a number of reasons. First of all, um, young people and children uh, don't get seriously ill from the disease. I mean, they're more likely to die from the flu. Uh, so, so I think from, from the standpoint of their individual protection, uh, there, there's no justification for it. I think there, there is, or maybe some risk that nothing's risk-free. Uh, the vaccine hasn't been tested, uh, particularly in younger uh, children, um, hasn't been tested in really large numbers of uh, of people yet. It's not, uh, uh, as we know, it's not fully approved. I mean, an adult, you know, you look at adults. I mean, in this country alone, we've given over 300 million doses. I'm, I'm not concerned about the, the, the adults in the sense that if, if there were, was some very, very common side effect, some rare, you know, some, some, um, uh, something that was serious, we would, have, we would know about it already uh, based on the numbers that we've given and in the, in the, in the number of studies that have been done. But in, in kids, those, those numbers aren't, aren't as large. And, you know, I think, I think it's wrong to, uh, to mandate uh, some, some type of treatment that could have a risk. Uh, however low, I mean, it's going to be low uh, for for people who really are not at uh, at serious risk from uh, fr- from the particular disease. I think it's an individual choice. 
It is. I, I, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I, I know there are people who are skeptics. There are people who don't want to be a part of a vaccine trial. They don't want to take the vaccine until it has gone through and, you know, completed everything that needs to be done. So it's no longer under emergency use authorization. And then you have people on the other end of the spectrum who they could not wait to get the vaccine. They were first in line and they're big proponents of trying to get their family members and anyone that they're close to to get the vaccine as well. Um, what what do you say to people who are skeptical about getting the vaccine right now? I know you mentioned the safety of it and how many millions of people have already had it. So, so again, I think we're balancing risks. I mean, we had extensive trials on it in, in adults. I think COVID nineteen for most people is not uh, is, does not cause serious disease, and that that's a misconception uh, that people who who think it does. But the risk is very much age related and goes up uh, more than more than I think most of us would like to 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 tolerate uh, as with increasing age, so especially over sixty five. And while the individual risk still remains low, uh, eighty you know eighty percent of the deaths are in people over sixty five. Ninety five percent of the deaths are in people over fifty. Most people aren't going to die from it who get it. But but I you know again if you're if you're older and you're you're medically uh, compromised your 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 you know you have medical conditions, you know you know you're you're at substantial risk for for this type of infection uh, to to harm you relative to to what we normally experience with flus or other types of of illnesses. And I would very strongly encourage. I, I think it's a no brainer really to get vaccinated on, under those settings. I think the risk is um is, is much lower than the risk of the the disease. As we go down the, the age health uh, spectrum, though, into younger ages, uh, healthy people, you know, I think I think if, you know, you're, once you start getting into children and teens, it, you know, there the, we're seeing these reports of myocarditis. The, the trials didn't really include the the large numbers of people of these uh, of of the younger kids, especially, uh, and and so we don't have the same uh, the same kinds of numbers. And in that in that case, you know, I think it's an individual choice. I don't feel as strongly about uh, about tr- truthfully about the need for uh, for vaccination because I think um, most most kids who who get uh, who get this virus come through it just fine. So that brings us to um, and this this is the conversation we're having is really important because we have a lot of people who are just they just want facts without politicization. They just want to hear from someone who's an expert who is not, you know, politically involved in this to give them the straight skinny because it there's there's even been, you know, there have been people who said, well, you know, without even discussing my medical history, my doctor just immediately started off with, hey, we need to get you vaccinated and everyone, you know, you, your your husband, the kids. And that that doesn't sound right to them. Their doctor has never kind of said that about the flu or anything else. They recommend it, but they've never said, no, all of you must get this. You know, so the the fact that you're here and presenting a, a non-political view, strictly scientific, is very important to our conversation, which brings us to the Delta variant. I've seen a number of what I feel like are kind of hyperbolic stories about the Delta variant. Obviously, it sounds like it's it's a little bit more virulent. It's it may, might be more deadly. What is your take on it? What what do you know about the Delta variant of COVID nineteen? Well, first of all, this isn't the first variant, and we keep hearing these stories about the first variant, the one variant, and the next variant, and the next variant. I think. You know, I think your your skepticism might in part derive from that, and I, I think it's it's well founded. The, the 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 Delta variant, the combination of what are called mutations in the in the viral genome, particularly in in the in the uh, what's called the spike protein, they're they're little changes in that 
spike protein. They were known before, but not in the same combination. So this variant, particular variant, uh, seems to have arisen in India. Um, and, and it appears to potentially spread faster. Uh, it's not clear that it's necessarily worse or more, um, more, more harmful. Uh, it's very hard to judge that because especially here, you know, or, or in Western uh, countries in which the, the uh, people who are most likely to get seriously ill from this virus actually are vaccinated and the vaccines still seem to work against it. So at this point, I don't, you know, these are very much expected. If this virus hangs around with us and we develop immunity, which we obviously can get immune, all these vaccines seem to work really well, or most of them. So, and, 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 and people who are, um, have had COVID get, get, you know, seem to have a durable immunity. Uh, you know, you know, I think, um, I, I think that, uh, these types of variants are, um, are going to arise if it hangs around with us. You know, we're going to have a level of immunity. It might not be perfect. Uh, and, and this is going to really be uh, a mild respiratory infection if it stays with us. Uh, and maybe it'll, maybe it'll disappear and, and we won't, we won't have to worry about it in a couple of years. But if it stays with us, uh, you know, and becomes part of our normal, um, our normal respiratory complement, I expect that we'll, we'll have developed sufficient immunity that it, it's, um, it's not going to be a serious threat. I'm, I guess I don't really, I'm, I'm less concerned with younger people getting, uh, getting respiratory infections, even with, even with this one where the, the risk is low. Uh, the cases aren't really what matters. What matters is are people hospitalized? Are they, do they die from something? And, and, you know, if it's, if we develop immunity, um, uh, to it, I, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm less, I'm less concerned. We live with infections, flu, uh, you know, other, there's other coronaviruses that circulate as colds and we do fine with them. And I think, I think we should, uh, we should, uh, be optimistic about this one as well. So can you uh, kind of help with, there's a new story out that talks about nearly 4,000 fully vaccinated people in Massachusetts have tested positive for COVID-19. Is this a function of the vaccine working as it is intended? In other words, they're catching it because you just mentioned we're not so concerned with cases, we're concerned with hospitalization. So if the people are, 4,000 of them took the vaccine but caught COVID-19 anyway, and they're not hospitalized, then that's the, the vaccine working correctly? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you know, the, these vaccines were not 100% effective. They were, you know, in the 90 to 95% uh, effective range, for example, for Pfizer and Moderna uh, at preventing symptomatic infection. So some pe- people would get infected and not have symptoms or would be so mild they wouldn't notice it. Uh, that, that's really how they were studied, uh, that in preventing symptomatic infections. What they appear to do also, and all of them appear to do this, is, is really prevent serious disease and death. And I think... Yeah, serious disease, serious illness is extremely rare. Uh, a small percentage of people may get reinfected. They just had a study out of Cleveland Clinic uh, where I used to work, and they their uh, 52,000 healthcare workers they looked at. And I don't think they had a single uh, infection of, among people who who had been previously infected. That that type of immunity is similar uh, to a vaccine. I you know, I guess I guess what I would 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 say is, um, you know, I don't. Uh, I, I think I think that that we're going to have break what they call breakthrough infections. The question again is whether or not people get sick, whether or not people die from it. Uh, these vaccines are extraordinarily effective, uh, and I would um, and I would um, uh, say that they're they're performing better than anybody had ever ever hoped. 
And and so that's that's something that I think we're seeing. I, I have a number of friends who are vaccinated and family members and have a number of friends who are not vaccinated. I have an even larger number who have actually caught COVID-19. And so they have natural immunity, which brings us to the skepticism about herd immunity and vaccination rates. So can you explain that to us? Because I, I so wish that when I hear people talking about this, I had an understanding of it so that I could either you know, oh, you're right, or understand where they're wrong. But there seems to be so much information out there that's contradictory. So, so I'm not, I don't really like the term herd immunity because I, that, that's more applicable to a disease like measles where once you get it, you, you never get it again. And I'm, I'm not convinced. We don't really know whether that's going to be the case with COVID. In fact, as you suggest, people can get it again. Um, the question is whether, it, rather than looking at this as an all or nothing or binary phenomenon, you know, yeah, you're immune or you're not immune, rather look at it as, um, as a, a, the question of, of a level of immunity, uh, it, like we do with other respiratory viruses. And, then, and if you look at it in that way, we're doing great. I mean, this is over as a public health crisis. Because of the vaccines, the, the uh, older and vulnerable people have, uh, have largely been vaccinated and as a result. We have just plummeting deaths and, and hospitalizations. Uh, and, and so I don't, you know, herd immunity isn't really um, as meaningful a, a, a term. It's sort of a, it's a nice catchphrase. But the question is, are people getting immune? The, the 4,000 people who got COVID after having been vaccinated, did they go to the hospital? Did they die? Did, you know, and, and I think, you know, I think if we're looking at, if we look at it more realistically in, in that sense, we're, you know, we're doing fine as a combination, as I, you know, I'd mentioned that Cleveland Clinic study, as a combination between natural immunity, which comes from being previously infected, and vaccines, which seem to have equivalent, you know, their protection levels seem to be about this pretty similar. Um, you know, we're, 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 we're eliminating this as a public health crisis. And, and maybe as a disease, if it, if it changes enough with these variants, it might hang around. Uh, but, but I think the, it, it doesn't appear to change so fast that we're not going to have residual immunity and be able to contain it. And, and that's, what, that's what I would be striving for. That's what I'd care about. It's not to eliminate, it's not to eliminate this disease. We're, we're never going to eliminate respiratory viruses. We get flu. We get all sorts of other cold viruses. What we do is we mostly, uh, mostly are able to uh, uh, fight them off, contain them. In the case of flu, we have a vaccine. We have a vaccine for, for, for COVID-19, and, it, you know, if we need boosters, we'll get the boosters. But, but that, that, that's, really, that's really how I think we should look at it in a more um, sort of a more uh, um, tempered way uh, uh, in the context of other respiratory illnesses uh, that we uh, regularly get. So you, you're, you're advocating for, obviously, it sounds to me like you're saying you recommend that people who are high risk get the vaccine, but for people who are not getting it, um, you're, you're not, you're not as concerned about them unless they have, they're advanced in age or they have serious, you know, health complications that would mean that the virus would be tougher for them to recover from because that, that's still the issue. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the, the lack of discussion around ivermectin, remdesivir, convalescent plasma, um, and other treatment methodologies. We, we hear a lot about getting the vaccine. We don't hear very much about people having options for treatment if they do catch COVID-19. So, so if you get the vaccine, you, know, you probably don't need these other medicines, which probably not as safe, uh, as uh, as as the vaccine or may 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 not be at least some of them. Um, I think that what what I, I'm not saying not to get the vaccine if you're younger. I mean, I 
I think I, mean, I think it's a personal choice. I mean, it's not. I had COVID, and I both I've been vaccinated as well. Uh, I didn't believe that the vaccine would probably do anything, but I did it anyway. Just I didn't. I felt it probably wouldn't hurt, and and maybe it would help a little bit. Uh, but but I think you know I think, and I wasn't super sick with COVID. I mean, I, I wouldn't. There was no. I wasn't near going to hospital or anything. And, and I, but but I uh, you know I think that from the a targeted strategy of um, of vulnerable people is imperative. It should have been the focus throughout this epidemic. Thirty to forty percent of the people who died appear to have been in nursing homes. So so this was a mistake on our part in in not focusing more. And that Governor DeSantis in Florida actually pursued de- deliberately pursued that strategy. And it seems to have been highly effective. It's not whether people get infected, it's whether they get they, they get seriously ill. It's not that I'm not concerned about uh, younger people or others who may get it. It's that the risks for them are quite low. And and so it's just a question of uh, of of again level of uh, level of risk. It's not that there's no concern. Anybody can get anybody at any age can can uh, can get seriously ill for or die from this. But the odds of that happening are extremely low and decrease with with uh, with age. And and that's where and 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 so you know I'm I think it's a personal choice as to whether or not. A person wants to get vaccinated. If I'm over four, you know, for people over forty, I'd probably be pretty, you know, pretty encouraging of it. Uh, under forty, you know, I think it's 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 less compelling. And then the younger you get, uh, you know, I, I I kind of, you know, I wouldn't, for example, I, I'm not a proponent say of, of vaccinating, you know, people thirteen, fourteen years old uh, uh, necessarily. I, I'm not, you know, I don't I don't feel have strong feelings about about that. We don't really know. I think the you know the uh, the um, we don't we don't know that much about uh, these vaccines in that population, and they're they're not really at risk from getting seriously ill from COVID in any meaningful way. Right. So, but can you tell us about the the effectiveness of uh, treating patients who have COVID nineteen and are experiencing you know heavier, more complicated symptoms when they're treated with uh, I, I guess it's ivermectin that is the most prevalent uh, uh, medication that's prescribed for people who are are having a tough time dealing with their COVID nineteen infection. Yes. Yeah, so, so ivermectin actually isn't one of the uh, one of the medicines. Uh, that that people are giving. There are other uh, antibody type uh, 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 medicines that that may be effective, especially so. So when you know when higher risk people would get infected, they you know they 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 can give uh, these medicines uh, to them. Uh, the uh, you know that there's um, there there's uh, uh, these types of drugs. Um, they're they may or may, you know, it's hard to know how effective um, uh, they are. They appear to, you know, to prevent, help prevent serious illness. Um, I, ivermectin is actually a, an antiparasitic. It's not, I don't think there's really good data on its uh, efficacy. I, you know, I don't, I, I again, I, I, you know, I'm kind of, because viruses tend to be so difficult to treat, I think that the better approach really is, uh, is prevention through, uh, through vaccination, and you don't want to get to the point where you need a treatment uh, for uh, for the um, for the for a viral infection because you're worried about preventing serious illness, which is which is uh, who, for example, the antibody uh, the antibody uh, preparations are authorized for. You don't want to you don't want you know those folks ought to be vaccinated in 
and I would encourage that. Again, it's always a personal choice. Uh, but but I think uh, I you know you wouldn't really be giving these medicines to to for example a young person who just who gets COVID. You're you know you're going to give it to a high risk person. And when people get super sick, uh, it, I think you know conventional medicines like steroids and that sort of thing might help uh, management and prevent death. But I think these other medicines are um, you know they they're they're relatively modest in the, in their uh, impact if they're uh, effective at all. And, and so I don't. It, viruses just are, are really, really hard to treat, and that, that's the bottom line of it. They're, it's not like treating a bacterial infection like strep or staph or something like that. That that that's a that's a you know that's a has a cell and a, and 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 you you really have a lot of places to target. Uh, the, it, the, these things are, are tough to treat, and again, prevention uh, through through vaccination is you know is the more effective strategy generally uh, toward viruses. All right. Well, I think there. I have a far better understanding. I believe that a lot of people will have uh, uh, more information and be better armed to make a decision about vaccination, and especially for their younger uh, children. You know, kids under the age of, I guess, eighteen, um, and the recommendations that are beginning to emerge about kids returning to school and whether or not they need to be vaccinated. It's always great to have someone who's knowledgeable, but it's even better to have an expert and a doctor and also a lawyer uh, to talk about the issues that we're facing, especially with COVID-19. And as we're coming out of the pandemic, I'm just feeling so much more upbeat and positive about it. And I'm so grateful that you could join us today. Dr. Klein, JDMD fellow at the Center for Law, Science and Innovation at the Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law at Arizona State University. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. So I have one more thing for you here on the podcast, and I want to talk to you about your affordable health care options. If you've been looking at the ACA, if you've been on the exchange and you think, oh, this is not going to work for me, then you should consider health sharing. The Alliance for Shared Health has a wonderful ministry with over 40,000 households participating. And as a member, you share in the financial burden of healthcare expenses, including need sharing for critical illness, accidents, dental, and vision. You can access the virtual care provider at zero cost, pick up your prescription from the pharmacy using the share prescription card, and order lab and imaging tests at discounts of up to 80%. Open enrollment is now. Don't miss out on the chance to save 50 to 70% on your monthly premiums while making a difference in the lives of others who share your values. Reach out to Ash today. Head over to StacyOnTheRight.com, click the banner ad, and sign up now. That's StacyOnTheRight.com or FamilyVisionMedia.org. Click the banner ad and start saving and sharing today. Alliance for Shared Health, changing healthcare, changing lives. I also want to give you uh, this bit of information. Thrivent, find your purpose, live your calling. Email david.sample at thrivent.com to explore opportunities for our financial professional opportunities and an event. Thanks for being here.